I am beyond excited to announce that I have partnered with Magimix for season eight of Crazy Sexy Food. Magimix is a family-owned business that has the amazing reputation as makers of quality kitchen appliances that are adored by chefs and home cooks alike. I remember growing up and always seeing my mum's beloved Magimix on her countertop and the utter ease of how she used it. With their 30-year motor guarantee, these machines have always been built to last. They continue to be relevant as ever in the busy kitchen and make fantastic food processes that make your food go further and reduce food wastage. They are a godsend when it comes to batch cooking and using up leftovers. I use my Magimix every single day. If you're ready to step into the world of Magimix with a new food processor, blender, ice cream maker or any other bit of kit, then simply pop over to their website and use my exclusive code at checkout for a 15% discount. The code is MAGIMIXCSF. Make it with Magimix. Hi and welcome to Crazy Sexy Food. I'm Hannah Harley-Young. This podcast is all about the love of food and how it plays a part in our lives. I sit down with well-known personalities, food experts, chefs, and people who, well, just love their food to find out all about their life, career, and their favorite tastes along the way. Today, I'm joined by Paul Feig, the DGA-winning, Emmy-nominated filmmaker, director, writer, and producer most known for the films Bridesmaids, The Heat and Spy. His signature style and discerning eye for talent has placed him as one of the most highly regarded main players in Hollywood and beyond, with his films grossing over $1 billion at the worldwide box office. Alongside working with the greats, he also has a penchant for a cocktail or two (laughs) and recently released his own cocktail book as well as his own gin. I love a man who knows how to drink, but can be creative as well. (laughs) Paul, it is such an honor to have you here in my home. Welcome to Crazy Sexy Food. Thank you, Hannah. I'm very, very happy to be here. And may I also say, now that you are here sitting, you are the most beautifully dressed guest (laughs) I have ever had. I think actually not just guest, just individual that has ever come into my home. Oh my goodness. So that's another (laughs) award to add to your collection. I did it. I did it. My gosh. (laughs) Excellent. Obviously the one you've been waiting for, right? (laughs) It is. It is. (laughs) So I always start my conversations with asking, what did you have for breakfast this morning? Well, very underwhelming today because I just flew back in from the States last night. And so normally I will make myself a lovely like scrambled egg burrito with all the stuff but i had nothing in the house so i made some old packets of uh, oatmeal okay so, yeah so. and do you put anything on that uh, i put a little honey in it and i put a, a bunch of cinnamon in it oh nice okay yeah. and i always think that's just a good standard like slow releasing meal yeah it is it, it's what my father used to say it sticks to your ribs which always <laughs> as a kid really put me off because all i could imagine is like all this you know oatmeal oatmeal stuck inside my rib cage but uh i, I guess that means it stays with me, absolutely so. and you're definitely my kind of guy an egg burrito do yeah. you put hot sauce in there oh yeah oh yeah slather it with uh, cholula oh, oh. Yeah. It's in my fridge. Uh-huh. There we um, go. And you are here with some beautiful uh, plus ones, shall we say, that have joined the party. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and we are going to come to the gin and the book in a bit. Yeah. But you have been a very busy man. Yeah. You've kind of got these 
different sort of strings to your bow and you're sort of adding to them more and more which is incredible but tell me what you've kind of been recently working on yeah well my latest movie that i've spent the last two and a half years making is called the school for good and evil and it's on netflix right now uh and it's done very well so far we were number one worldwide for our first couple of weeks and we're still in the top 10 all over the place and uh yeah it's it's a really fun kind of fantasy film um about two young women and some faraway land who uh one's the daughter of a witch the other wants to be a princess and they go to the school for good and evil which trains heroes and villains but the princess gets dropped into the villain school and the witch gets dropped into the hero school and they have to figure out why right so yeah we need to watch that yeah that sounds it's cool fun. and Love Charlize that. Theron Carrie Washington and oh I'm just, just 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 a few just, just a, a few, few names from around minor the corner players, yeah exactly <laughs> They, they, they have a future in this business, I'd like to say. <laughs> so before we sort of get into like the more recent times of your life, I want to take it back to your childhood. Mm-hmm. You were born and raised in Michigan in the mm-hmm. U.S. I want to know what life was like growing up. Who was cooking? What food was on the table? Sort of paint the picture for us. Well, I did not come from a family of good cooks. Okay. <laughs> yeah, as my mom was Canadian uh, and she had a few dishes she made, but... For some reason, our entire family was devoid of flavor <laughs> and spice because <laughs> my grandmother on my father's side, um, she was always portrayed to me as the world's greatest cook. And so I was like, her chicken soup is the greatest. Her chicken is the great. Blah, 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 blah. I would eat this and it had no taste, n- nothing, because she wouldn't use salt. She wouldn't use anything. So I would be eating what just tasted sort of like bland sludge and being told this is the best food ever. And then my mom's cooking, which, you know, was never held in high regard, but still you're eating going like, okay, there's, it's stew and it's something there and I'm eating meatloaf and it's kind of there. But so for me, it was like, I guess I don't like food. Oh, wow. That was the takeaway. Okay. And I was known as a very picky eater. Yeah. Um, but I was, my nickname was also Big Eyes because I would or, always order something big and then only be able to eat a little bit of it. That's been, that's been my problem my whole life, Paul. Telling <laughs> <laughs> exactly. For the Big Eyes Brigade yeah. here. Um, but then it was in my early teens that a Mexican restaurant opened up in the local mall called Chi Chi's. And my mom took me there and I had chips and salsa and thought my head was going to explode. And then I had whatever other food they had there, like a chimichanga and all this kind yeah. of stuff, which is now I know is kind of really low rent sort of yeah. Mexican food. But at the time, it just, my head opened up. Gosh, so that, and also it was the first time, I guess, you were tasting spice and, yeah. I mean, completely different flavors that you would that you had ever come across. Yeah, I mean, like my taste buds came alive yeah. for like the first time ever, other than like candy, you know, yeah, I would eat yeah. like things like sweet tarts we had in, in the States and stuff, like very sour, sweet candy. I think just desperately trying to kickstart any sort of a reaction to yeah. taste. Something that I'm incredibly um, interested about, uh, about your sort of background is that your father was Jewish mm. and he converted to Christian science. Yeah. And I would love to sort of hear about that because did he convert... Before you were born? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. My grandmother actually was the one that converted. Right. Okay. Yeah. So was there any Jewish food? I mean, I know you mentioned the yeah. chicken soup, but was there any Jewish food making an appearance? Yeah, it, it hung around. Like my dad loved kavilta fish and he oh, loved borscht love, and yes. all that. And then my grandmother would cook it all. But, you know, it was always, because always, always, now I really like Jewish cooking, but yeah. it was always sort of, to me, the worst of Jewish cooking. Like, you know, I mean, gefilte fish is... I'm sorry. I mean, do you know Any what? fans of gefilte fish... Well, I don't I'm mind I'm a gefilte fish bull, but I can't eat 
like it has to be with something else yeah, on the plate. Exactly. It's no, it a very acquired taste. Manischewitz jar. Yeah, yeah. It, lo- it looked like Adam's apples to <laughs> yeah. me. Like I go, if I cut out open my throat, it would look like a gefilte fish, I think. <laughs> and and once I had a really bad experience because my mom used to make this um, like fruit punch for parties. And so, it, and it would be in the fridge. Like, oh, so one day it's like it was in there. It's like, oh boy, a poor big glass took a giant swig and it was borscht. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> spit it all over the kitchen. <laughs> and then, so if you had to tell me, like some of the main dishes that do remind you of your childhood, what would you say they were? The chicken soup. Well, yeah, I mean that that's like a traumatic. Honestly, that's a that, traumatic he's going, memory. He's, go, he's going through yeah. therapy on that one. <laughs> and boiled chicken for my grandmother. You boil, you know. Yeah. Now we all boil chicken occasionally yeah. for the dog. Yeah. Um, when the dog's sick. Um, no, I, I mean my mom's beef stew was actually. I, I have an affinity for beef stew. Okay. I've now had it so much better with like yeah. Irish stew and that kind of thing. Mm. And Guinness and all that kind of. But um, no, I, I the I think the main thing my mom made that was great was a Texas sheet cake. <gasps> Which What's was basically that? like it's basically like a big pan of brownies. It's, it's a cake okay. that is brownies that then you cut into brownie shaped things. And is that is it got like is it chocolate, chocolate. or is it yeah oh, chocolate fabulous. with nuts and all this stuff? And that was really good. She okay. was actually better at that. Okay. And shortbread, and actually she she made British shortbread because her you know my mom's side of the family is, is yeah. Canadian and British, and she made the best shortbread. So that okay. was okay. Okay, so there were a few things in there that yeah. kind of like but all sweets. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I guess, you know, you're the first director that I've sat down with mm-hmm. and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there, maybe listen, well, we hope, who are listening, um, <laughs> who may want to get into that world. I'd love to hear what your journey was to yeah. sort of getting to where you are now. Yeah, well, I started, I wanted to be a performer. That was my whole life. I wanted to be like a famous comedic actor um, and you know, really pursued that. But um, when I was a tour guide at Universal Studios, the first time I moved to California from Michigan, I found out about USC Film School. So I decided, oh, if I want to be an actor who writes, directs, and stars in his own stuff, which was kind of my goal, I said, I should go to film school and learn how to do it. Did that. Learned how to do it, but then became a stand-up comedian for five years professionally, then became an actor for 15 years. But while I was acting, I just realized I was kind of limited in what my my talent as an actor was versus when I would watch everybody else go like, oh, oh, I want to give them a direction or oh, I think I could make them better or I could, oh, this script, I think I could make this a little bit better. And so just kind of slowly went, you know what, I'm going to go behind the camera where I can make everybody else better and not be tied to my limited talent on screen. That's... Quite a big move to, uh, I don't know, like I, my first thought was if that was your, I don't know, your dream or whatever to become yeah. this performer, whether it was comedy or just sort of acting or, or whatever, mm. to then step behind the camera. Yeah. So did you feel like you were just kind of going by what you felt perhaps you were you were sort of uh, like more talented at or? Well, it, a couple things happened. It was, you know. When you're an actor, you know, and I was always, you know, I, I was like a regular on five different TV shows, but I always be like the sixth or seventh lead, you know, so you're kind of there, you have a few lines per episode. Um, then I finally got on a show called Sabrina the Teenage Witch, um, which was a hit, you know, and, and I, you know, had I big, was one of those watchers. Oh, there you go. Well, I was Mr. Poole, the <laughs> science remember. teacher. Thank you. <laughs> and, you know, so it's kind of like, as an actor, you're like, oh, finally I'm on a show where it's going to run for years, I'm going to be taken care of, you know. And when you're an actor on the yeah. show, it's good to cut your hair, they give you clothes to win, you know, it's the greatest yeah. thing ever. Um, but after the first season, I put all my money into making this independent film out of pocket, 
And they called me up in the middle of it and when I was doing that and said, oh, we're not going to bring you back next year. We're going to write you out of the show because we don't know how to write for your character anymore. Oh, okay, wow. so then I was like, so it was that moment of like, I can finally have a like job security and I have no job security. So that made me crazy. And then after I'd done that film at the same time, I had a meeting with John Landis, who at the time was one of the, kind of my, my heroes because, you know, Blues Brothers and Animal House and all that stuff. And he, when I came to meet him for an audition for something he was doing, he goes, oh, I, hey, I heard you directed a movie. And we were like, like you know, equals. And we were just talking for 15 minutes about directing and all this stuff. And I felt so great. And then he goes, okay, so you're going to audition for us. And that drop in status that I immediately felt, that was, the I think, the final moment. I was That's like, you know what? I, I want to be the director. I want to be talking to other directors mm. and be the guy in charge. That actually brings me on to a topic that I find really interesting. Because, you know, that there's a lot of people out there who mm -hmm. want to be an actor, be an actress, succeed in that realm of life. Yeah. And in my opinion... And, and I'm now creating my own statistics here because obviously everything I say is right. <laughs> Go right but there really is like that 1% that really make it in that world. Yeah. Um, it's a real cutthroat industry. Mm -hmm. And how would you say, you know, someone who's sort of an insider, you know, what's the industry like nowadays? Because we, we live in a very different world yeah. in all different capacities. Mm -hmm. We live in a world of internet, of social media, mm -hmm. of people becoming famous because they are just famous yeah. for being famous, yeah. you know. Yeah. And sort of where does the line draw between someone who's actually talented mm. and is is being, uh, uh, I, I don't know, respected for the actual job that they're doing mm -hmm. as opposed to they just are? Well, I mean, it's the great thing about right now is that there's so much more opportunity because there's so many more things and so many more mediums you can do it in. You know, when I was coming up, you know, if you couldn't get on a TV show on one of the four TV networks or in movies, you were, yeah, that was it. There was nothing. Now you can invent sort of whatever you, you think will showcase what you do. It doesn't, but you have to be able to pivot because let's say you want to be a famous actor but you just either you don't have the charisma or you just the opportunities the timing's not right you're you know when I, when I was in my 20s everybody they were casting was in their 30s so I was like oh when I get in my 30s I'll get cast when I got into my 30s everybody they were casting was in their 20s so sometimes you just get caught wow. out of you know out of sync with, with things but if you're able to pivot and you can pivot so much more now by going I'm not gonna be an actor but if I I'm doing a YouTube thing or I'm going to be a stand-up comedian or I, or I invented some new thing. I mean, you know, you see it all the time. It, like people are inventing these careers for themselves. Mm. I think it's really exciting. You just have to be able to pivot. If you, you know, if you're so dead set on doing something, first of all, it's good because you got to be tenacious. If you can be knocked sideways, then you shouldn't be doing it. You got to yeah. be able to get knocked down over yeah. and over and over again and get back up. Have a little bit of thick skin on you. Exactly. But at the same time, you can't be delusional either. And you have to go, oh, you know what? There's not quite a market for me as this, but if I can take it this way or twist it or come up with something new, anything come up with new is great. And, and that's what charisma is all about. It's who you are, what you bring to the table from your personality. And so if you're in tune with that and able to go like, oh, maybe I should, you know, whatever it is. I mean, you can do anything these days. And if it catches on, do it. But it just has to be, has to be authentic from you. If you're trying to copy somebody else, you're dead. Absolutely. So I want to completely fast forward. Um, and before we sort of get to 
the main part of your career, we have to talk about this beautiful specimen ah. that is on the table, which is Paul Feig's cocktail time. Mm -hmm. It's actually the, the bit underneath that I like. Great advice, embarrassing stories, and 125 classic and original drinks. Mm -hmm. So I want to sort of talk about this. Yeah. What inspired you to write the book? And we are going to have to ask about some of your embarrassing stories. <laughs> I mean, I've got nothing but. <laughs> um, no, it was during the, when the lockdown started, I, I was shooting something uh, you know, in, in North Carolina, shooting a pilot. And then we had to pull the plug and come back. And so I was in Los Angeles at the time and just knew we were facing just months of nothing. Yeah. And thought, I want to help. What can I do? Well, I, you know, I'm not a medical professional, so, but I can try to entertain people and maybe and I can try to raise money for first responders. So decided to do this Instagram live show every day at five o'clock for a hundred days in a row <clears throat> without taking a day off just wow. so that people would have something like in their day that they knew was going to happen at a certain time that they could watch if they wanted to yeah. and I collected old cocktail books over over the years and I, I make I've always known how to make a good martini and a good Negroni and a few a couple other things but I never really delved into mixology I thought well I'll just kind of for the show I'll teach myself to make a drink every day and go into these books and that's what it was and then people were going like oh can you you know write up all the the you know all the recipes and put them somewhere so I started doing that and then this it just grew into this which is how to throw a cocktail party, how to stock your bar, and then Love lots that. of embarrassing stories. Love in, that. In there. You've also come with some other very exciting bits. Yes. So this is going to be the practical side of the chat. Okay. So I, you're going to make mm -hmm. me a couple drinks. Yes, I am. And are these in the book? Uh, yes, they are. Okay, so I think we just get started and I'm going to kind of just talk to you as we're going along because anyone who's it. listening to this obviously is not going to be seeing it. So I'm going to kind of... Do, do that beautiful uh, sort of voiceover. <laughs> play by play. It's yeah, exactly. Like we're doing yeah. sports on the radio. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> so we've gin, also or... got your beautiful gin. Yes. And this is this is your gin. Mm -hmm. This is Artingsalls. Now, tell me about this. Uh, Artingsalls was my mother's maiden name. You got answered my next question. Yep. Okay. Uh, Artingsall. Uh, yeah, and uh, I've always been a gin fanatic. And have kind of searched the world looking for what I would hope to be my favorite gin and never quite found what I wanted out of it, okay. taste-wise. And so it was for years and years, it was like, if I can make my own gin, I know what I want it to taste like. And finally, I got the opportunity. I paired up with this distillery and designed this from the ground up, the bottle, everything, and, then, and the recipe. Yeah, and I, I, just, I really love it. And we've actually won a ton of awards, too. So it's not just me saying it's good. And, and, and what was the process like, kind of making the gin? That must have been really interesting and quite new for you. Very fascinating, yeah. It was, you know... You know, like clearly, I'm not a distiller, but uh, but I I went in and and you know said here's what here's the gins I love, here's the gins I don't love, here's what I want out of this gin, here's what I don't want out of okay. this gin, and I didn't want it to be too juniper forward because I yeah. think a lot of people in America, especially people, don't really like gin; they're not used to it. Yeah. Because I think they associate it with like, you know, beef eater and those really old piney, you know, junipery ones, which I really like, mm. but they, they're off-putting for people who don't know what's co coming at them. <laughs> so I just wanted to pull all that back and then put a little, little bit of more citrus in there, a little mm. slight floral, but then with a nice kind of peppery back note. Okay. Well, let, let's go let's for it. Let's make it happen. I know. I, well, I'll, let me, I'm going to start making a martini because... That was well, a great place do. to start. Yes. Now, the only thing I do need is some ice. And I'm going to make you what I consider to be the best martini. Well, first of all, the best martini in the world, I think, is a Duke's Bar. 
Okay, yes. And the way they do it at Duke's, they freeze everything. So this bottle would be in the freezer, the glasses would be in the freezer, and when they would come out, basically Alessandro Palazzi, the great Alessandro Palazzi, would put a little bit of vermouth in this, swirl it around to coat the sides, throw it on the carpet, that's what he does, his move, and then just pour in the frozen gin, and then cut your lemon twist. Okay. So it's great, super cold, but really strong. Okay. Because it's not delivered. We, 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 we don't do anything but strong. There you go. Good <laughs> but I'm going to make what I consider to be a friendlier one. Okay. Which is the runner-up, okay. uh, I call it. And uh, so the, one of the keys, as far as I'm concerned, is to make it very dry. Okay. So and does the, so does the vermouth kind of counteract the... So it kind of counteracts the other alcohol, doesn't well, it? it? Or it, not all really? It does, I use such small amount. It's just something to open it up. It's like if you Got know you. single malt scotch, sometimes yes. you'll just put like a drop of water Fine. in it just to open it up. And that's what this should do. Okay. Because if you just have no vermouth, then you're just drinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Straight gin. Basically. But what I do is, and we're making two here, I'm just going to literally put in that much. Oh my gosh. That, I mean, that drop. was like... Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. A wee bit. Just, it's okay. only just flavoring the... The martini. Okay, I want to smell this. <laughs> One, two, just three. Just keep pouring. There you go. I count to three. I was going to say, what was that measurement? Yeah, <laughs> it's just a pull. It's a pull feed me- measurement. <laughs> it depends on how your day is going, <laughs> how slowly you count. And now, what you do is you gotta. No, you gotta. Of course, you're gonna stir it. I prefer a stirred martini as opposed to a shaken martini. Okay. I think. Um, a lot of a lot of bartenders really pride themselves on their shaking abilities, yeah. and I find no offense to anybody their shaking abilities to be no ter- offense, terrible. No, no offense to James Bond. You well, well <laughs> thank you exactly. No, because a lot of bartenders think you just have to shake the hell out of it, and what that does is it just busts up the ice, mm. clouds up the drink, mm. and it, well, here's my theory on James Bond because he says shake and not stirred, which I'm like, come on, you're cooler than that. You should know better, but. He is an international super spy whose life is always in je- jeopardy. People are always trying to kill him. So he, he, he needs to water it down a bit more. Right. So okay. that's, that's the, the, the slack I'm buying I, him. Do you know what? I'm going to take that. You, I'm, like that? I'm, I'm, you know what? You sold that to me. Excellent. Very good. Very but good. I agree with you. There is something about it being stirred. It's just a... It's a more delicate yeah. approach. I don't know. Treat the gin well. You don't want to yeah, beat up the gin. Why are you beating yeah. up the gin? Yeah, yeah, no, totally. I agree. It's like they always say with like a, when you make tea, aren't you supposed to like not like boil and pour it right on top totally. of the bag? Totally, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, there's different teas and there's different um, brewing times. And, right. they, and they, you're absolutely right. They actually say you don't put in the really freshly boiled water because it completely breaks down all of the tea leaves. Yeah, exactly. So that's, I, I, that's how I face this with that. So now, while that's still sitting there and getting cold, I'm going to leave it cold. I'm going to cut a couple of couple of twists here. And what you want to do is you want to cut the longest twist you can. Okay. Generally, I like to get almost like an Amalfi Coast lemon. Yeah. That's what they use at that, that's um that's an Amalfi Coast lemon um via Ocado. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> it's international. There we go. There's our two twists. Okay. And so now, and I, I did not ice these glasses. Normally, these should be. Yes, in the I should have done that. That's I'm all, sorry. That's not your I, fault. You know what? Just I, an I amateur over here. Request, nope, I forgot to request it. <laughs> but these will still be good because this is going to be very cold. So there we go. And now, what you want to do? Obviously, pour oh, in. Oh, look at this. And the martini. Here we go. It is. in the afternoon, and I say that that is martini o'clock. Amen to that. It's, as we say, it's five o'clock somewhere, somewhere in the middle of some ocean right now. Yeah, absolutely fine. It's five o'clock. And now now one of the keys is you want to get a good 
a spray of lemon oil okay. onto the top. So when you when you squeeze a twist, you do it out, skin side out. You just fold it like that. And if you can see, mm. you look on top of it, you'll see just like a little little flotilla of, of um, oil on there. Oh that is God. the key. Job. Oh, yeah, I can see it. Yeah. See? So what, what I have been served to all the listeners is the most beautiful... Ice cold, sexy gin martini by Paul Feig. Cheers. Cheers. Mm. Ooh. Nice. Oh, that's smooth. Very smooth. Oh, that's a lovely gin. Thank you. Oh, I'm not just saying that. That is really nice. Thank you. No, oh. I, I really want it to be smooth and friendly. Honestly, this can even act mm. as a um, as a vodka substitute in some of your cocktails. Absolutely, to, to give it a little bit more complexity, but not you know. Overall. No, I like it because I find see see me as a drinker. I'm not usually I don't normally order martinis. Sometimes I do. If I go to my neighbors upstairs, they love to sort of get loads down me, and that's fine, whatever. But at least I only just need to walk downstairs <laughs> to get home. That's, that's um, the key. <laughs> but I so when it comes to drinking something like this, that's quite. I mean, there's no like mixes in here. No. You know, there's nothing. It has to be smooth. Yeah, it has to be smooth. It has to be very cold. There's mm -hmm. nothing worse than than a lukewarm martini. There's Absolutely, no that is delicious. That. Excellent. Yeah. So, is this your favorite drink? Yes, I am a martini fanatic. And do you, would you have one every day? Uh, pretty much. It <laughs> tends to work out that way. There is no judgment at admit. this table. Thank you. So, <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit more about the gin brand. So, this mm -hmm. is now sold everywhere. Yeah, it is. It is. It's, uh, we're actually, we've been in the UK, but now we just signed with a new distributor uh, called Oak and Still. And so we're really going to be getting out there uh, quite a bit. Uh, you can get us, at, right now you can get us on Amazon, the Whiskey Exchange, and at Jerry's. Uh, but soon we're going to be in a lot, a lot more places. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. And then sort of just back to the process a little bit. For people that might not know about the process of making any type of alcohol. Yeah. First of all, did you, like, where was it made? You know, I know you mentioned that you were sort of there from beginning to the end, but yeah. sort of break it down a little bit. Yeah, so so like I was, I was saying, you know, I, I met with their distillers first and kind of downloaded everything I wanted and didn't want out of the gin. Ooh. <laughs> Don't mind me. <laughs> Enjoy that martini, my friend. <laughs> Listen, the, 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 the questions are going to become all over the place after this, so enjoy it. When you the answers are going to be. Exactly. <laughs> um, so after that very intensive meeting for, you know, and for hours of just like into minutia, I want this, I don't want that, want these tastes, don't want these taste um they they went away and, and distilled eight different variations okay. of what they thought my description was and came back to me with that you know and it takes about a month for them to distill all that and we did this big tasting and the, with those eight it's like okay not this not this there's something here less of this less of that and so from that then they go away and they do it again eight micro variations okay. and you do that number a number of times until you are literally drinking like just a hair a hair's breadth of a difference between them all which was fascinating and the most terrifying day of my life because that was the day I had to kind of you know decide on it mm. and it, it was so close but what I found the weird thing I didn't realize is how the the alcohol content really affects the flavor so when I found what I thought was the recipe I wanted, at 40% alcohol, it, just, it was too botanical. At 44%, it was too harsh. 
But at 42%, it, it, it was exactly what it Gosh, should be. So it's really down to those really fine figures there. Way down to it. And, wow. and I've never been drunker in my life <laughs> than the day I had to finalize this. Because I had eight very close things. So you kind of, but you're literally taking a sip, yeah, a sip, yeah, a sip, yeah. but a sip, a sip, a sip yeah, for hours. Forget it. Because my wife's like, you could have spit it out. It's like, I can't. I'm literally <laughs> taking a sip, but, but it's, you know, 40. 40 plus percent alcohol. <laughs> and then once you go like, I think this is it. And then it's like, okay, let's try it in a dirty martini. Let's try it in a clean martini. Oh my martini. God, of course. Cause you got to try it in like different. Yeah. Gimlet. In it, yeah. And a, a Negroni. Okay. Cause I wanted to make sure it worked on everything. But the most important thing to me weirdly was, would it taste good at room temperature? <laughs> because what you never drink gin at room temperature, but in the old days they used to weirdly. So would you keep, so you, so you'd never keep gin in the fridge. You'd keep it, but you're, but you're putting it on ice. You can. Oh yeah. No, I mean, most people will not yeah. drink room temperature yeah, gin. Yeah, yeah. I just, for me, that was a way to pass a test to go like, if it tastes good like this, then, then it clearly it, it's going to taste good when absolutely. it's cold. Absolutely. I got you. Yeah. Okay. I want to, before we sort of get onto more drinking, which I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm sipping the whole way through now yeah. and I will definitely be a bit tipsy by the end of it because <laughs> half a drink in it and I'm pretty much done. Perfect. <laughs> I, I really want to talk to you about this incredible career that you've had in mm-hmm. film and TV. Um, you, as I said in the intro, you've put your directing skills, some of the greatest comedies, very much of my time, mm-hmm. notably Bridesmaids, mm-hmm. The Heat, yeah. Spy, the reboot of Ghostbusters <laughs> and sort of sort of the thing that really sort of placed you on the map as freaks and geeks. Mm. And I really would love to talk to you about what the life of a director is like, because I get to sit down with lots of actors and actresses, mm. but you are the first director. Ah. And I and I've always been fascinated about sort of the behind the scenes of it, because although you're sort of top of the food chain, so to speak, mm. I'm so interested by the creative process and sort of how your role works in the making of, you know, some of these huge productions. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny. Most people have no clue what a director does. I've had so many people come up to me and say, Oh, you directed Bridesmaids. Did, did you meet Melissa McCarthy? It's oh, like, wow. Yeah. I think I met her a couple of times. I definitely know you. I know that part. There you go. No, you, I'm not worried about, but, but it, it's really, I mean, the directors really, we are, in charge of everything. I mean, everything you see, everything you hear, you know, has at least been done by us, approved by us, or, or you know, fixed by us. And, you know, uh, so just to walk you through the process, like either I'll write a script, you know, that's an original idea, or I'll be sent a script that I really fall in love with. And then I go in and work with the writers or I do it myself to fix the script and to get it to where I think it needs to be. Um, and then at the same time, I'm assembling my team, working with all these production design, all these artists, you know, costumers and you will and always bring everyone in. It's up, you're kind of the final say in terms of. Yeah, I, I that or I will have like a line producer or a producer Fine. who will find people. And, but then it all has to go through me of like, are those the people I want to work with? Do they have the right vision for what we're doing? And then we kind of put it together and then they're designing and, you know, and everything's being sent to me to like, okay, that looks right. Or this should be different or let's change this and that. And then when we get to the set, then it's all about shooting. And, you know, so I'm every shot you see, everything you see on screen, we're, you know, I'm doing or approving through, through people. And then once we're finished filming, uh, then I'm editing it. And the editing process is the most intensive and takes the longest. I think a lot of people don't understand editing and you know putting a show together yeah i have to be honest it's my least favorite part (laughs) and in and i and i don't say that 
I, I don't mean it as in like, I see it as something right. that isn't important. I actually think the editing process is kind of, and correct me if I'm wrong, I hope I'm not like speaking amateurly here, but like mm-hmm. it's where the, actually the creative side fully really comes because so. the edit can kind of make or break. Oh, totally, totally. I think that's what I think. So many people go like, oh, yeah. you have it, now you just throw it together. Yeah. It's like, no, it doesn't I'm, work like I'm, that. Yeah, you know, I mean... <laughs> And I'm just doing a, a little three camera setup, you know. <laughs> no, but you have too many. You have one too many seconds here. For, this scene's in the wrong place, or this yeah. thing, moment, and the whole thing falls apart. So it takes us, you know, a good six months to a year to really get something right. And then at the same time, we're doing test screening, so we're getting recruiting audiences off the street mm. who don't know us, who just come in to watch it, and then we hear their reaction. We record it and go like, okay, that joke didn't work, or that didn't get a laugh, or that got a big laugh. Let's keep that. And then we, you know, and then we have people write out cards. What did you like? What didn't you like? And then oh, we take that back to the editing room. We do that and we just over and over again until we've kind of honed it into what we know will work for most people. And then do you ever have moments where you sort of, because obviously there's sort of no one, I say so to speak, above you in terms of making decisions or having the final say, do you ever have moments where you, where you may question yourself and think, have I made the right choice here? Should I have done that? Should I have not done that? Yeah, you're constantly doing that. You know, and, and ironically, there are people above me who can dictate because they're the ones paying yeah. for it. You know, <laughs> the studio yeah. and all that kind of thing. But then I'm, I'm trying to be confident in what I'm doing, but also not be so confident that I'm not listening to other people or not listening to the audience. But then I'm also getting sometimes great ideas and sometimes terrible ideas mm. from people at the top. And so I have to kind of like navigate keeping them happy, but making sure that we protect the baby at all times. Absolutely, of course. And one of your babies that I do have to talk to you about, because it really is honestly one of my favorite films of all time, (laughs) is Bridesmaids. And I remember going to see that in the cinema. And honestly, I have to say, although I like to think I have some sort of a sense of humor and I can be somewhat funny if even just for myself <laughs> I never laugh out loud at things mm. I've realized this about myself even when I watch tv shows and it is one of the only films that I laugh out loud oh, at I and oh. I feel like if you're ever going to do your market research if you can get Hannah to laugh out loud <laughs> then you know you're on to a winner you're my new litmus <laughs> test I know Literally. everything is coming to you but I, I really would love to talk to you about that because I mean you know it was a cast of some of the most incredible fiercest ladies yeah. in the industry and I'd love to know you know what was your experience like working with them and I know you yeah. have a very good relationship amazing relationship with Melissa McCarthy mm-hmm. and sort of Talk to me about like how that evolved and has evolved over the years. Yeah, I mean, it was it was the most fun experience. We just laughed the entire time. I mean, they were wonderful. You know, to show you just how screwed up Hollywood is, I would have like these. You know, when we were going into making it, these uh, male producers be like, "Oh, be be careful on that set." You know, the all these women together, they're going to be fighting and all this. I was like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" <laughs> and, and it was it was so ridiculous yeah. because it, it was the happiest set I think I've mm. ever been on. It was just so much fun. Um, no, it was you know, I mean, Melissa came. That's why I never I didn't know Melissa before uh, Bridesmaids. And she was one of the last roles we cast. Really? Yeah, we were having a hard time casting that role. We had saw a lot of really funny people for it, but just wasn't. We we're just looking for something that we didn't know what it was. Okay. Something different. And Melissa, it was it was Kristen Wiig and Annie Mumolo who wrote it. Um, said, "Oh, you should see our friend Melissa. She at the Groundlings, which is a famous uh, Los Angeles improv troupe. Um, and she, you know, people love her there, and they line up around the block when she performs. So Melissa came in." 
and did Megan sort of the way that you see it in the movie. But I didn't even know it was funny for the first 15 seconds because it was just so different than we'd seen. I was like, wait, what, what's happening? <laughs> then you go like, oh my God, she's hilarious. Yeah. But she left the audition thinking she had blown it. Really? Yeah, yeah. She said, always tells me she was on her way home going like, why did I do such a dumb character? And it was over the top. And she was doing lots of crazy improvs about dolphins. And <laughs> it was crazy. Um, yeah, and then she was and came on board. She, I mean, I'm, for me, she is, I think, out of that film, as I'm sure She's everyone so has probably said to you. I mean, they were all amazing in their own ways, but there is something about Melissa on screen where, yeah. and I say this... It, as like a compliment, sometimes she doesn't even need to necessarily open her mouth. To oh, like, yeah. and, and I'm and I knew I know something's about to come yeah. out, and you're just ready for it. No, those are the, some. <laughs> I always say there's some people that just their DNA is comedy. Totally. Kristen Wiig's the same way. It's just yeah. like she just walks into a room, you want to laugh. Yeah, you know? and it's interesting because obviously you, you've you've worked on loads of different productions, but you know a lot of them have been comedy, mm-hmm. and so I wondered, you know, what in your opinion makes good comedy. It has to be relatable, has to be about characters, it has to come out of character, and it has to come out of situations that you go, oh my God, if that was me, I, I would I have done that, or I would have done that, or I never would have thought to yeah. do that. But it has to stay grounded while it can still be extreme mm. you know i mean you know that whole dress shop scene which is so kind of still one, everybody I think probably knows. the most iconic yeah of, of of a lot like i would say probably one of the top iconic film moments <laughs> it has found a life of its own i'll tell you that but that was a, a terrifying scene to shoot and Kristen was afraid of it and i was nervous about it too because that could have gone way off the rails right. and been terrible and i've seen versions of that yeah, scene really? terrible yeah when if it, I'm shooting with a big wide angle lens and people's faces are all yeah, red and they're yeah. crossing their eyes and all, you know, all that stuff. All that kind of thing that people think is comedy versus what's funny about and why that scene works so well. I mean, we all know all the vomiting and pooping yeah. and all that <laughs> stuff. But it works because it's all in service of proving Kristen Wiig char- Wiig's character wrong. Because yeah. she makes a mistake. She's trying to compete with Helen. She doesn't have any money. She takes him to a crappy restaurant, yeah. says it's a good restaurant. Then they go to this thing, and clearly everybody got food poisoning at this restaurant, and she will not admit it in the yeah. face of overwhelming evidence. But is there like a weird sort of element as well with, with the comedy side of things that it's kind of like a reality as well? So, like, for example, that scene... It's probably happened to all of us at some point, right? right? Mm-hmm. I'm sorry to have to talk about that particular bodily function, but the point is, yeah. is that we've all been in a situation where we've eaten something dodgy. <laughs> See, I'm trying to link it to the food here. And you've well been done. caught short, possibly, or you need to go to the bathroom. Yeah. And so there was an element for me of it when I was watching it, aside from the fact that it's funny, mm. but when you actually dissect it, it's like, actually, we've been there. Oh, totally. And at this point, I can do nothing else but laugh because the situation is so no pun intended shit yes like and it's not happening to you exactly like what are you meant to like what else are you meant to do exactly because if I don't laugh I'm going to cry I'm probably going to cry anyway so there is an element of that well that's why comedy has to be relatable in some way you know I mean you know Maya sinking down the street saying it's happening Is possibly one of the biggest laughs I've ever heard in yeah. one of my movies from an audience. And the first yeah. time we screened it, we were like, this could be a disaster. And you're just like, oh my God, like we really hit a chord here. I guess this is a very generalized question, and I apolo- ap- apologies to me for asking this, but no. what makes a great actor? Because we've been talking about comedy, mm-hmm. and I have actually asked this to other actors before, but 
because acting for me is so far removed from what I know or do. You know, mm. I present, so I'm kind of just a version of myself, right. maybe a little bit heightened at times, but, it, mm. but it's always me. Mm-hmm. Whereas with an actor, you are taking on a completely different identity, a different persona, yeah. a character. How, in your p- opinion, sort of, do you sort of assess whether someone is sort of great or not? Well, I mean, look, there's, there's lots of really good actors, who people yeah. who can act really well. But there is a thing called charisma, and you cannot put your finger on it, but you know it when you see it. Yeah. And, you know, and look, I'm at the, the level where the, everybody they're bringing into audition for me is good. You know, whether they're known or not, they're just really talented people. And so you're like, oh, that person could do it. That can... So you're always kind of like, oh, they could do it. They could do it. And then somebody comes in that has that extra thing and just blows everybody else out of the water. Are you saying charisma just as them, as they're walking in or as they're, as they're going, as they're doing the it's audition? It's tied together. It's tied Fine. together. You, you very rarely meet somebody who's just like, you know, dead and then they come to life. on <laughs> It happens occasionally. You're just like, whoa, what yeah. happened? But what will happen a lot of times, it will be somebody will walk in and you go, okay, they're not at all right for the role. They're not what I pictured. They're not the right type or whatever. And then when they start doing the character, I mean, you know, Melissa to an extent because yeah, she yeah, turned, yeah. you know, Melissa is not Megan in real life. Yeah. She's kind of gregarious and really sweet and all that. But then she took on this whole kind of, you know, yeah. <laughs> tough, tough <Yeah>. persona. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, oh, so, but it just jumps off, mm. jumps off them onto the camera in a way that most people don't have. Mm. Out of all of your collection of, of films that you've put your hand to, which would you say is your, say is your favorite? Of my movies, um, I'm really partial to Spy. Okay. I'm very proud of Spy because it accomplished everything I wanted a comedy to do because I kept it, you know, it's still a real spy movie. It's got a real story that has stakes and, and, and all that. But it's, I think it's really funny. It's got funny action in it. So I kind of got to do, I always wanted to make a James Bond movie, but nobody's ever going to let me do that. So I, that was my version. You just put it out there, guys. No, it's not going to happen, trust me. <laughs> Darling, you, you, you can do it. You can do an alternative one where you're actually stirring and not shaking. I see, I'm going to dress <laughs> down Bond by all means. No, now that, actually, now that I did Spy, it actually kind of scratched that itch yeah. for me. So. <laughs> but I also love Simple Favor, too. I'm really partial to that one. Okay. Yeah. So... I always love to ask this question, especially when I uh, speak to musicians. Mm-hmm. So obviously, probably half your life, you're on set. Mm-hmm. You know, you're in the same place with the same people every day. You've got to find a way to all get on and yeah. put that smile on your face. <laughs> but I'm always interested in the food aspect. Mm-hmm. So what, when you're on set and you're in production, is like your go-to meal? Yeah, well, in real life, I'm a major foodie and have been my whole life. On set, I only eat one thing, and it's a turkey wrap sandwich. <laughs> That's so all. is that like a sort of, is it like a, not, not like a good luck charm, but like a thing that you do? Is it just... It's just, I, you know, we always have catering. We have yeah. pretty good catering. But there's just something about like a big lunch in the middle of the day when I'm doing my job just makes me like tired. Yeah. And yeah, I, I just, I, I know now that a turkey wrap with lettuce and, and mustard... <laughs> In like some pickles and maybe like a bag of chips. That's, it's, it's, I don't know if it's comfort food necessarily. It just, there's no, it's like some people have like an outfit they wear every day. That's just their uniform. It's kind of my food uniform. Okay. So, are you, so obviously like early starts, are you having breakfast? 
Yeah, I'll usually have a, have like a, a, a scrambled egg burrito. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Coffee and. Yeah, have a decaf coffee. Then you have your lunch, which is your turkey wrap. Mm-hmm. And is there a specific way that you like it made? Like, are you, what are you using? Like tortilla wraps or like yeah. a pita bread? Or... Like a like a tortilla Fine. wrap, like okay. a pin tortilla wrap. I always make sure don't make it too big. Sometimes yeah. they'll stuff it filled with um, yeah. with with turkey. Just like just just a normal size. I could, do you know what? a part of me actually does understand that because at least you know what you're getting. Yeah. There's no discrepancy. It's consistent. Yeah, because they also like film sets. They love to load people up with carbs. Yeah, it's crazy. I don't know why this happens. Why? Because Tons you need pasta. the energy to yeah. be like working crazy hours. And people have a crazy and have a crazy crash. But the other thing I do though is I work uh, French hours, which is normal hours are twelve hour days with a one hour lunch break. In the okay, middle, which always turns into a two hour lunch break. Yeah, <laughs> by the time you get everybody back, yeah, and back up to speed and all that. <laughs> but if you do French hours. You have a 10-hour day with no lunch, no break, but you just food comes around the whole time. Oh, so is it like a rolling lunch? Yeah, it's like a rolling lunch. Okay. And people come around with trays of stuff that's easy for people to eat. That's clever. Yeah, and then but then you have to pull the plug at the end of 10 hours, which is great, though, because you don't do these... You know, 12-hour days always turn into 14, 15, 16-hour mm-hmm. days, and then nobody has a life. Everybody's exhausted. By the time you get to the end of the week, you're wrapping at, like, 6 in the morning. And I just don't like that. And yeah. I can't do it. I'm not fresh after. Yeah, like, 11 yeah. hours is, like, my limit. Then my brain shuts down. So that's quite... I, you know what? There's a part of me that probably quite likes that. I also feel like the stopping and starting... Yeah. You know, if you, especially if you're in character, oh, totally. let's just keep going, you know? Yeah. Otherwise, it's going to take me another hour long just to get back into the zone well, it's so unfair because the way we shoot is you know like a lot of times you'll shoot one side of the scene so yeah. like you and I will yeah, get yeah, all yeah. your coverage and then it's like okay let's break for lunch then you come back the yeah, poor just... person who wasn't on camera yet yeah <laughs> you know, the person they were acting against <laughs> had the great performance they're tired they're trying to get back up to speed and it's, it's yeah just, I, I find it a mess where has had the best catering Oh man, um, you get, a, I mean, you get good catering. Well, you have to have good catering. I, I should say that. Like they, they, the only time you'll have a mutiny on a film set is if the food's not good. Yeah. But I think the best catering I've had, gosh, probably in New York, I think. Okay. Yeah. We had, actually it wasn't even catering. We have catering, which is the main meal. And then we have craft service, okay. which is what kind of is out all the time yeah. and what they come around with. And we had th- these crafties that, that were they would make like ceviche and stuff. Excuse me. Oh my God, it was so good. Okay. Yeah, so you're kind of like, oh, hey. I want to be on your set. I'm telling you, we're not skimping on the food. I'm here for the food. I'm telling you, (laughs) it's got to be about the food. And what is on your rider? (laughs) (laughs) I weirdly don't have one. I mean, it's it's really just, um, uh, you know, my turkey wrap (laughs) and decaf coffee. There has to be decaf coffee. I can't have caffeine. Okay. I love decaf coffee. And would you have a little drink at the end of the end of the of the, of the day? Well, yeah, we always work towards the uh, you know a drink, a martini, <laughs> or whatever. You know, and I actually like to um, you know we were just shooting in Belfast on School for Good and Evil, and yeah. it was during lockdown, so I had this apartment that was really big, had a giant kitchen, so I would a lot of times just have people to come over because I like to cook. Mm. It would like you know roast a chicken and put all this stuff in and, and kind of do that. So I that's it's always about working towards you know having fun at the end of the day Absolutely. that's again why I like those French hours yeah. because you know I, I despise we have to do night shoots because it screws up my whole yeah. drinking and eating schedule <laughs> do you know any if anything doesn't fit within my eating and drinking schedule it, people are going to know about it I'm, tell, I'm the same way man I'd rather not make a movie than I agree screw up my dinner you know what let's scrap all those bridesmaids forget about <laughs> exactly. it exactly it's not happening <laughs> so you actually just answered one of the questions I wanted to ask you which was do you cook much at home mm. you're a big foodie what are some of your specialities 
Uh, I like really simple Italian, you know, I mean, I love roasting a chicken. That's a great, like yeah. my favorite is from the River Cafe cookbook with the nutmeg and mm-hmm. the prosciutto and the cavity and all that. Um, but I love Italian cooking and I had a real epiphany because I used to, I was really into French cooking, but really complicated French cooking, okay. which was fun, but it's also like, you know, it's like building a model or yes. something where it's so, you know, <laughs> there's just no room for error yeah. whatsoever. And then... On Charlotte Street, years ago, there's a place called Passione, which was Gennaro, um, Gennaro's yeah, restaurant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we went there, and it was so good. And then he had a cookbook uh, um, called Passione. And I bought that, and it kind of changed my life. Because oh, wow. it was so doable and makeable, but so about the ingredients. And so th- that really changed my life. And then Nigel Slater's uh, book. I his love first Nigel book. Slater. I mean, so amazing. And <sighs> it was the first time, again, because I was in the, that French cooking down to, you know, everything had to be precise. Yeah. And him just like a handful of this and yeah. something of that. And it just opened me up. That's my kind of cooking. And yeah. also to just like tasting as you go along. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> what foods do you dislike? Um, <laughs> gefilte fish. <laughs> uh, no, the, the only thing, actually the only, there's only a couple things I can't eat. And the top one is mayonnaise. Okay. Mayonnaise one makes me want to throw up. Funnily enough, I don't eat mayonnaise either. Oh really? There you go. You know, I have a, I have a weird, I have, I have a weird relationship with Is it with a mayonnaise. texture thing? Um, it's a texture thing, but it also stems from the fact that I don't eat butter. Oh, well, Which people go. still don't understand, and my friends are that. very rude to me about the fact that I don't eat butter. But <laughs> it's, it's something, it must be to do with consistency. Could be, yeah, totally. And there's a taste, I don't know, there's something... I'd rather have olive oil. Yeah, I'm, I'm anyway. totally the same. Exactly. But no, there's something about, and, and mayonnaise is one of these things everybody thinks you love. Yeah. So every, you know, get a sandwich. If you but forget I was going to say, say like, no mayonnaise. even like your turkey wrap. Ooh. I could imagine if, if that hasn't been written down, someone's going to put mayo in Oh, that. there's been a few times. Yeah. It's like, ah, get this away from me. <laughs> <laughs> what three items are always in your fridge? <laughs> booze, booze, and booze. Uh, we have the booziest. I know, I'm telling you, we have the <laughs> biggest joke of a refrigerator. It's all like half-used condiments and tons of booze. Um, but but I, I, in the you food can survive world, on that, don't worry. Exactly. But in the food world, uh, definitely orange juice, like fresh orange juice, uh, eggs, and, um, and a bunch of hot sauce. <laughs> <laughs> or salsa. So, so is Cholula your favorite hot sauce? Um, I wouldn't say it's my favorite, but it's my favorite accessible one okay. that you can get. Okay. Uh, there's a one called Tapatio that I love, but I you can't get it. it here. Oh, really? Uh, well, once we've finished uh, this, I'm going to oh. show you my collection of hot sauce oh, because you're oh. in a hot sauce house. Oh, I love it. Yeah, so we have a, we have some in the fridge and some in the cupboard, depending oh, nice. on what they are. Okay, no, anything, <laughs> sp- I need spice. Everything has to be spicy. Now. I love that. You've come so far from where you were when you were a child. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, now I can't. If something's not spicy, I yeah. can't eat it almost. I mean, I, I used to um, carry Tabasco in my handbag at one point yeah, in my life. You never know, right? Like, it can get you out of some really bad situations. That's the best. When you are out and about, where are some of your favorite restaurants to go to? Um, in London, um, I love uh, Giovanni's of Covent Garden. It's yep. a great old school Italian restaurant. Love going there. Love Lucio. On yes. uh, Fulham, which he is used so to work good. at San Lorenzo. Oh, you're kidding! Yeah, he used oh to be the head gosh. waiter there. Nice. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh, he's the greatest. Yeah. And Murano, I love yes. Angela's so good. Um, but then you know, I like, we like going to Annabelle's. We're members of Annabelle's. Yeah. And they've got you know, Mateo's is great there. The Mexican restaurant mm-hmm. they have there is amazing. Um, so that that and then like in, in New York, my two favorite places are the Polo Bar. 
We did the Ruffler and Polar Bar, which is fantastic, great American cuisine, mm-hmm. great burgers, but you know, yeah, really fun. Uh, and then a place called Il Tonello, which is an old school, old school Italian. Where place. is that? It's on 56th and 5th. I think I've heard of it before. I used to live in New York. So oh, okay. I, yeah, I think I've heard it's of right it. It's right next to what is now the Whitby Hotel. Yes. And it's, I mean, you know, tableside. Love um, that. Caesar Love salad. Zabioni. They make tableside. Yeah, so great. Amazing. Yeah. So I think it's time for another drink. Yes, I and know. And whilst you're making the drink, mm-hmm. we're go- I'm going to ask you a few quick fire questions. Okay, I okay? Like it. All right. So first go. of all, tell us what we're going to have next. I'm going to make something called a top banana. Because <laughs> I like to mix it up, I go high and low, Top my friend. Banana. And it's uh, it features it features my gin. So we're gonna put in um, two ounces. Well, I'm gonna make here. I'm gonna make two. So this okay. would normally be for your own drink. It'd be one ounce to one ounce. This is a great Christmas present. Yes, isn't it? we'll be in Waterstones everywhere, where you, wherever you buy your books. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. So we're gonna start with each drink has one ounce of gin. So okay. of course, what is that a full fig ounce or is it's it? A, a... It's gonna be a full fig <laughs> ounce now. Exactly. I'm gonna be a little more accurate with my measuring. And um, next, we're gonna do some uh, creme de banana. Okay. Which I love. I... So I guess the first oh, question I want to ask out of my quick fire questions is, what is the craziest food you've ever eaten? Um. I mean, I've never eaten like, you know, monkey brains or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, that's fine. But it was more, because I eat, I'm such a foodie that nothing puts me off. I have to look at the moments when I had something before I knew, yep. before I was adventurous. And okay. when I first got to Los Angeles back when I was, you know, in my late teens, I was taken to lunch at a sushi place. And the very first thing I was given was sea urchin. <laughs> and? I, I, I just, I didn't know what it was, but so I knew just... it was not. It wasn't what I was supposed to have the first time that I had <laughs> sushi. Do you eat sushi now? Yeah, I love sushi. Okay, fine. And I like sea urchin. And I was going to say, do you eat oh, sea yeah, urchin? I'll eat sea urchin really right out of the shell. Sometimes <laughs> ignorance is bliss, though. Oh, totally. Because I recently went somewhere for dinner, and it was a restaurant that it was quite fine dining, and mm. I knew that there were things on the menu that I would never, ever normally eat. And I thought, you know what? I'm not, I know what I'm getting, because it was like a tasting menu. I'm just going to eat it. Yeah, totally. Because sometimes... If you're not told what it is, and you usually be just say, oh, no, I don't want that. Because you don't like the sound of it. Yeah. But you might like the taste of it. Exactly. And I tried a few things I've never tried before. Mm-hmm. So there we go. There you go. I get that. Right. What are you putting in so now? So I, I put an ounce each of the creme de banana. And now we're going to put in an ounce each of orange juice. Oh, oh, perfect, perfect amount. There perfect you go. Pour. Freshly squeezed by me, may yeah, I say. Seriously. Labor intensive. <laughs> it's got to be. And now I'm going to show. Okay now, okay. now I get to show everybody. How to properly shake. Right. Okay. Now, look, if you're making like a Ramos fizz where you have to like froth it, then yeah. sure, shake the hell out okay. of it. Okay. But a proper shake is this. What? It's this. And what you want to do is you want the, the liquid to hit all four corners. So you just want that. So all the, all, the, all the jazz hands, is that all just for show, do you think? Or the whole like... Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. You know, but you can go fancy this way. You can go this way. <laughs> Yeah, but you just want to get it cold and you want to mix it. You don't, you know, again, unless you really need to like bust up the ice and all that. Okay. Still quite a a delicate movement. Yeah, exactly. You know, know, let's be nice to your drinks and they'll be nice to you. (laughs) Maybe sometimes they won't be nice. Absolutely. So next question, what has been your most memorable meal? My most memorable meal was, it was, um, gosh, back in the early 2000s. 
I was going to make a movie um, that I did end up making called I Am David. It was hugely unsuccessful. Um, <laughs> but I had to go to Paris to uh, meet with my producers. And I was staying at the Bristol. And I had a four-hour lunch in the Bristol restaurant. And it was amazing. It was just so the pageantry of it Aww. and all the different silverware coming out. At one point, I was in the wind, sit on my table, they opened the windows, we were there, and like there's a Nigerian prince at the next table oh smoking a cigar. So would you like a cigar? It. Yes. And it, that was okay. spectacular. God, I love lunches like that that just go oh. on and on and on. It was a miracle. Do you remember anything that you ate that day? Oh, I ate everything. <laughs> I mean, I mean, escargot and frog's legs and... Yeah, there was there was again like you said like I'm just gonna have whatever yeah. kind of shows up. Yeah, and it was pretty amazing. Okay, so the drink has been passed to me. It's a top banana. This is a very different drink from a. Okay, martini. that's fine. I'm, I'm actually glad that we've gone for this Cheers. one as our sort of. I wanted to go kind of like I say high and low. It smells nice. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like Isn't that. that nice? Do you know what? I would never mm-hmm. ever normally order something right. like this. But this is tasty. See, I know it sounds Ooh. like it's going to be terrible, but it's kind of fantastic. This is great. This is refreshing. Isn't that nice? I know you got the banana taste, but then you got the orange taste. And then mm. I like the gin just gives it a little... You're normally supposed to make it with vodka, but I... No, I, I love it. Oh, I, I, I'm transported. I'm on the beach. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. See, you you are now the top banana. Mm-hmm. And look at this. And I also just a That's shout, fab. I, I love... I have no tie to them whatsoever, but this uh, Tempest Fugit Spirits Company, they make the most beautiful labels. That is a beauty. It's it's very old school, isn't it? Yeah, I love it. They make all kinds of spirits. It's very sort of like Miami, like a little bit Art Deco-y, sort of like... Yeah, you kind of want to... You know, put that on the table. Absolutely, we're going to put that there. there okay, go. back to the questions. As yes. I now sit, I'm now going to be sort of. I've got both going at the same time. Um, <laughs> Two-fisted drinking. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely feeling it though, which is great. That's why Good. I'm a little bit more animated. It's all going very well. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's all I did it. Mission accomplished. <laughs> <laughs> right. The most important question I'm going to ask you today, Paul Feig, is. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite flavor of crisps? And for our American listeners out there, potato, potato chips. chips. Exactly. My favorite are sitting on a cake stand. Oh. Because. What are those? So those are, have you never tried? Oh, pic- Monster Munch? Pickled onion Monster Munch. No, but I, I've never had Monster Munch, but I hear it talked about a lot. Would you like to try one? I would very much like to try some Monster oh Munch, God. please. Okay, this, is, this is a first. We've never done this before. This is very exciting. Okay. Oh I'm really man! Excited to introduce you to this. So these, I would say, are probably the dirtiest of all the the, the, the crisps <laughs> out there in the world. Oh, They're strong. Good. I'm a maximalist. I want to be challenged. Ooh, ooh. Oh, this is very exciting. <gasps> oh, shaped like a monster. Oh my god! Mm. I'm buying you... a case of these immediately. <laughs> I'm oh, going to wow. give you a bag. Oh my god! Please. Do you oh, like them? I love them. I love them. I love Paul anything Feig like that. Paul loves a Monster Munch. <laughs> like pickled flavor? Pickled onion. Oh my God, it's so good. They're great on a hangover, which is probably going to be me tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, oh my God. So, sort of, okay, I'm okay. so, I feel honored to have introduced you to those. I'm thrilled. I think they should be on your rider. Yeah, they are now. Great pick me up for sort of three o'clock in that sort of like moment where you're going down a little bit of a, you know. Yep. Like, oh, you no, know, totally. hour, hour seven of that set day, you know. Yeah. That's oh, they, they mix is really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> they cop banana, too. <laughs> Maybe not the best combo. Oh, no. Kinda. no. Probably not. Maybe I'll go back to the martini. There we go. That, that's where we're... Mm. There we go. That I told works. you it was all going to descend into chaos. <laughs> <laughs> no, my... I mean, my... There's... 
what I love about England is you get so many great flavors mm. of crisps, especially those um, sensations. Mm-hmm. I love those. I think my favorite is chicken, chicken flavored. Okay, so are we talking like a like a Walker's roast chicken yeah. flavor? Yeah, exactly. Okay, nice. But I also like prawn. I do like a good prawn okay. cracker. Okay, no, cool. Or prawn, or is that bad? So um, I'm quite known for getting a little bit aggressive um, in general. It was going so um, well. It, it, it was going very well. Um, I have a huge issue with prawn cocktail flavored crisps yeah. because it just doesn't exist. It's not a crisp. It's not a flavor. Um, and I really dislike it. I'm going to take the roast chicken answer. Okay, yeah. Please. And we'll forget, Those are my and we'll, we'll forget okay. that bit happened. <laughs> well, I was, I was doing a movie in, um, in, in Budapest and I asked for some Pringles. And I said, oh, they say prawn Pringles, that'd be nice. And I was brought prawns and cream flavored. That exists? It exists. Oh, and it tastes grief. exactly like prawns <laughs> and cream, which two flavors Slightly I never wanted re- re- together. I was about to say, that's very worrying Yeah, as well. exactly. So... <laughs> You definitely want to steer away from them. <laughs> what food sums up happiness for you? Oh gosh. Uh, well, will I gain weight if I eat it, or do I do I get like a free pass on it? Because pizza. Oh, me too. That's why we're friends. We've got a cheers to that. Oh my god, that's my favorite you. food of all time. It's the greatest food. Where do you ever get invented. good pizza? Where, where do you get pizza from? Um, we. I mean, it depends where I am. Mm. I mean, in New York, you know, you like to get a good raise or whatever, just kind yep. of you know, a good ninety nine cent slice. Yeah. Um, in in uh, L A, Moza makes really great. Yeah, that, which is also in London. Oh, that's right. There's one yeah. here now. Yeah, too. And then here, oh gosh, there's another place. Oh, I can't remember. It's on Chelsea Green, but I can't remember the name of it. Isn't it like a number in Italian or something? Cinquecento. Yes. I know exactly the where. There's one on Portobello Road as well. Yeah, really good. Um, I'm going to advise you to go and try Santa Maria. Oh, where's that? They've got one in Fulham. Oh. I think they are the best pizza <gasps> outside of Italy and New York. <laughs> oh my gosh. Santa but Maria. my favorite oh. pizza of all time is uh, in Brooklyn mm-hmm. at a place called Locali. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and he's been on my podcast. Mark has been on the podcast. Oh my God, are you kidding me? Oh. And um, I think he just does the best pizza oh, ever. It's so good. Oh. But it's got to be, I like a thin crust. I'm yeah. Not, I'm, not uh, big... no, I'm totally the same. Yeah. Totally. My wife's from Chicago. And oh, so she me. likes a good, like. Yeah, well, you will get, you know, that um, uh, uh, Gino's East yeah. and all that stuff, which yeah. is really good. But it's just, that's, it's such a mountain. To, yeah, no, no, I agree. On. Oh, God, I love pizza so much. <laughs> okay, final question mm. Live to eat or eat to live? Live to eat. Hey, we're going to cheers to that. Come on now. There's no other way to be. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I'm sad for you if you're not that Absolutely. And also, I mean, listen, everyone has their own, I find it quite a philosophical question. And I've had some really interesting answers and theories over, over the years. But for me... You know, God, I'm I'm thinking about my next meal whilst I'm eating the meal yeah, in that moment. You know, it's you. and as you said, like if if your if your food schedule is altered in any way, you know, yeah, someone's going to know about it. You know, in, in America it was it's not this way so much as it used to be, but it used to be sort of the food is fuel kind of mentality, and, and it's just like that's everything's wrong. About yeah, that. absolutely. I get if you're like running from one thing to another, sure, that's fine. Absolutely. But, yeah. So I've got to ask you, mm-hmm. front of the book says embarrassing stories. Yes. Have you got any at the top of your head? Uh, I got my Meryl Streep story. Oh, I, I love a Meryl Streep story. <laughs> yes. I, uh, after one of the Golden Globes uh, award ceremonies, I got to go to this after party. 
and all the famous stars were there and I get very nervous around celebrities. So I immediately like somebody get me a martini. <laughs> so I had a martini, you know, which I think probably two martinis cause I was just very nervous. Um, and then I walked into this one area in the Meryl Streep. So I was like, Oh, I have to say hi, which I would never do if I didn't have a drink, but just like, okay, like now I'm not nervous. So when I'm, Streep is so nice to meet you. I'm such a giant fan. Oh, thank you so much. She's very kind. Walk away. Go off, have another martini. Walking around. Hey, it's Meryl Streep. Oh, no. Streep. Hi, I'm Paul Feig. I just want to tell you what an enormous fan I am. Oh, thank you so much. Isn't that nice? Go off, mingling around some more. Have another no, martini. Hey, it's Meryl Streep. No, oh, my God. <laughs> At this point, my wife, as I'm going up saying it, she goes like, honey, you've already introduced yourself to him two other times before. <laughs> and she's like, I'm so sorry, Miss Street. And she's like, that's fine. fine. Like, oh my God. So there you go. Do you know what? That's actually one of the funniest stories. I have nothing to top that. So I'm not even going to give you anything there. <laughs> Good. There we go. That is brilliant. That's and the, tell the me, have you, have you seen Meryl Streep since? I have not. <laughs> I think she has a restraining order on her. <laughs> that is brilliant. Paul, thank you oh, so much for joining pleasure. me today. I'm drunk. Yay. Um, so we've succeeded on all different levels. Excellent. Um, it's such an honor to have sort of picked your brain and actually learned so much, not just about the film industry, but about gin, um, about creme de banane. Um, and if you, your... <laughs> if you remember nothing else from this. I won't remember anything. I'm going to watch Good. the edit Perfect. tomorrow and be Perfect. like, did I say that? <laughs> your book is out. Yes. The gin is available. Mm -hmm. Guys, please go and get some lovely Christmas presents. Yes. Um, honestly, thank you. Oh, thank what you. a delight. So much fun. So much fun. I really, it's been Cheers. an honor. Cheers. Here we go. I'm drunk. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Until next time. <laughs> Thank you for listening. If you love what you hear, please subscribe and review. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Crazy Sexy Food and check out the Crazy Sexy Food YouTube channel. Until next time. Bye.